Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about diversity and inclusion in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And today I'm joined by Sally Todd and Chris Newlands. Sally Todd is president of City Women Network, one of the longest standing business women networks in the UK and the first to be established in the City of London back in 1978. Her career has included senior tenures at Northall Capital, Penrose Financial and More Capital Management, and she is chair of the Communications Committee at the Alternative Investments Management Association and a formal girls cricket board member at Chance to Shine. Sally, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Chris Newlands is the editor of Financial News, delivering breaking news, analysis and commentary to the international financial services industry. A former asset management editor at the FT, Chris is an ex-editor of the FT's Fund Management Pages, or FTFM, author of Virgin Moneymaker, the personal finance guide published by Virgin Books, and has also written for a wide range of publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Banker, Euromoney, and many, many more. Chris has been awarded the Chartered Financial Analyst UK, or CFA, Ethical and Professional Standards Award, recognising the journalist who has advocated the highest standards of ethical and professional behaviour in the financial sector. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julia. And as always, at the start of the show, we invite each of our guests to take a minute to tell us what they're focused on. So Sally, let me start with you. What are you particularly focused on at the moment? Okay, so as um, as president of City to Women Network, um, I have a, a focus on three particular areas which I'm aiming to drive um, and, um, uh, you know, lead the board in, in terms of providing uh, a platform which our members um, can engage with and meet other like-minded women. Um, we provide a curriculum of professional and personal development events to help advance our members' careers and for them to share information. And we also use our, try to use our platform purposely to stimulate debate um, around issues that matter to our members, but also to collaborate um, and propel debate around addressing uh, gender and diversity and balance in business. So those are our kind of three primary pillars of our mission um, at the network um, and that um, in fact, over the years, um, they have been quite steadfast. But um, as a relatively new president coming in in March, um, I'm really, really focused on driving forward our diversity agenda and really trying to attract a more diverse pipeline of individuals into the organisation. Well, we'll certainly get into how, how you can make that possible uh, for sure. So let me at that moment then turn over to Chris. Uh, Chris, what are you up to at the moment? Um, so as usual, uh, chasing stories and trying to get scoops. Um, as a publication, we are focusing a lot on Me Too and um, areas of diversity. And so it's great to be here today to talk about that. Well, let's start with, um, I mean, Sally, for your perspective, you know, running one of the oldest women's business networks in the city. I'm quite interested. I mean, it goes back to 1978 and you're, you're now president. So yeah. Congratulations on that. Um, how has, I mean, what's particularly changed? I mean, what what is your, as, as you look at a, an organisation that's that's come from some, some legacy behaviour, what has particularly changed and what are you focused on? Well, what's interesting is that, um, that if, if you like, the kind of original roots of the of the network were around um, providing a supportive platform for like-minded women to come together. And in 1978, there were very few women working 
at, at a senior level in the city at the time. And um, it was actually founded by an American law partner with the aim of really um, identifying and supporting other like-minded like women to, to share information. And the, in, the original intent of the network is um, very much in place, but it's been the job of the presidents over the years to really progress that agenda and um, to, to make sure the, the network remains relevant um, and so um, one of the things that I'm very um, focused on is moving the network or, or continuing to move the network from its roots in law, accountancy and banking to include a more diverse um, you know, kind of sector um, balance uh, in terms of industries represented through the network. So that's been a positive stride. And I think the the evidence of the growing diversity of the sector diversity of the network was became apparent already in the early 90s. So I'm really um, focused on continuing to attract a more um, kind of diverse industrial kind of balance into the network. Um, the other thing that's really important is that um, we remain mindful um, that uh, when we talk about diversity, we, we really mean difference. And that's really about appealing uh, and working with a whole range of individuals. So that that's not just gender focused. That's looking at um, lots of different individuals at different stages um, to really, because we really feel, you know, obviously by trying to solve, if you're trying to solve problems, you really need a kind of range of perspectives, different behaviors, different approaches um, to converge and uh, try to keep innovating. So that's, you know, that's very much present in my mind. And um, I, I think, you know, to, to, to keep attracting accomplished women to help drive those initiatives, you need to remain relevant. And one of the things that we did in 2015 was to establish a partnership with an earlier stage career women's network, which is called FE. And they really work with women in the first 10 years of their career. And I think that's been really important for us in addressing pipeline dynamics um, and really to make sure that we continue to flex our thinking and don't make assumptions when we're looking at, um, you know, how to bring on the next generation or how to address the desires and the kind of ambitions of the next generation of contributors. Because the world is kind of going through perpetual change at the moment. I mean, you think about sort of fintech and, and you know, there are so many roles and jobs now that, that didn't exist five years ago, let alone in 1978. Yeah. And then, then also, you know, kind of where the young talent's coming through, and the digital talents and digital yeah. skills. And um, so it's, it's are, are, you, are you running streams particularly for young entrepreneurs coming through or young, you know, kind of young innovators? Well, we're... And so we're a network for senior business women, and, and that's very deliberate because um, whilst we have a, a growing sector diversity, we want our women to be able to uh, mix with their peers. So discuss the same kind of challenges, but maybe in a different industry, and that gives them a bit of a different perspective. But where we um, work with, um, where we where we really try to focus on the, on the next generation is really partnering up with our um, our network, our earlier stage career women's network, FE, to uh, help them and advise them on their, you know, what their membership is concerned about. So we really work quite flexibly together. And it's a really nice dynamic because especially when we're um, talking to prospective corporates who want to partner with us, um, we're definitely noticing in the last few years that a real uh, priority for them is not just to provide um, an external network for their senior women leaders, but also how to address the aspirations of millennials 
And that's been a really effective way for us to um, really collaborate and give them a proper kind of balance of, um, you know, um, events and um you know, opportunities to collaborate uh, with us, not just on on a one dimensional level. And let, let me then at that point then that sort of turn to you, Chris, because um, I mean, you you watch the world from from the outside lens, if you like, kind of looking at the the way that things are changing. And, and clearly, was sort of thinking about what Sally was saying about you know starting in 1978 and how that world has shifted plus also the dynamics that that come to play the the young aspirations of of new workforces coming into the industry um and and yet i wonder whether the city has a sort of a reputational challenge about whether or not young not just female talent but actually young talent wants to come here when actually there are sexier industries to go to particularly where we all need digital skills and we need uh different uh different um uh, different types of employees these days. Well, I mean, I'm interested from from when you look at change. Is do you think there have been some sort of pivotal moments that have driven greater diversity inclusion from what you've seen in the industry? Yeah. Um, so as I, s- I spoke earlier, the Me Too movement. I mean, it's very recent, but um, the it has kind of sharpened the minds of the press and the media. Um, it's certainly gone up the agenda for editors and for journalists as a topic to cover. Um, These stories will make the front pages of newspapers maybe, I don't know, five years ago, they would have been inside stories or perhaps not even written about. And now uh, they are, uh, they're they're the top stories. And um, I know I tell my reporters, um, you know, these are the stories that I want. I want stories where um, there's bullying, People are not getting jobs because of uh, their skin color or whether they're male or female. And there's a big appetite amongst my readers for those stories as well. So you can feel a sense of change. Um, So, yeah, recently, I think Me Too caused that. Um, In terms of young people coming into the industry, I know the the 2008 crash. um, It's certainly cited as a moment that put off a lot of people coming into finance. It was a element of trust. Um, and obviously there's been the rise of Google and Facebook. Um, they are certainly, uh, report after report shows that the most talented graduates now want to go into those industries and, and those companies rather than go and work for the major banks or the big asset managers. Um, and perhaps that came from the, the, the crash in 2008. And, and are you seeing at the moment that... Um uh, that financial institutions are waking up to the fact that if they want to continue to attract that kind of talent, they have to perhaps think and behave and ref- and present themselves slightly differently as well. Do you think organisations are thinking like that? The, the, the heart of the question, really, I guess for me is, um, which is why we set up the podcast about there's there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about commitments to DNI, which is wonderful. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about change and we're trying to look for the kind of the sticky moments where people go, yeah, it's all good on paper, but actually it's not that hard, that easy to do. And whether you see organizations beginning to change the way they present themselves or the way they behave. Certainly, they, there is a, a desire to change. I think that's certainly true what you're saying. Whether that translates into people actually doing the right things uh, is questionable. But there is certainly a desire to change maybe the way the company operates, promoting uh, women into more senior roles. Um, we saw uh, recently um, Anne Richards took over as chief executive of Fidelity. Um, that's a big statement by that company. Um, and this, all this will make a difference. Um, but I, 
I, I agree with you that there's more uh, a desire for change than actually change happening. Uh, I would agree with that. And it's sad is that your experiences as you work with with corporates who are connecting with your with your network as well. That um, uh, that is is this just marketing spend or actually are firms coming to you and saying help us change? I think um, there are still some companies um, who want to show intention um, and um, think that it's, um, you know, it will uh, benefit them to um, accelerate some of their initiatives that they're starting to put in place um, by partnering up with somebody like us. And that we certainly can accelerate and and assist with some of those initiatives. But we still find that um, there are some businesses that are a little bit passive um, and um, some who are, you know, really, really engaged and really want to make a difference in their in their organization. So I think I would agree with Chris. I think, you know, there's so, there's definitely some intention there. I think there's still some businesses that are struggling to understand how they're supposed to put some of these initiatives in place. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a little bit of lit service being done in that, in that area, but I certainly think there is a, a great deal of momentum, uh, and some of that's government initiated through some of the, um, reports and initiatives into addressing gender imbalance. Uh, and so I think it's a good time. I think it's a, it's a good time for, um, organizations like CWN to really, um, leverage that momentum and try to, you know, make a difference. Um, so I think it's mixed. I think it's mixed. But I, I definitely think there's a palpable uh, kind of change of foot. Yeah, and we hear a lot of people coming on the podcast talking about, you know, we're investing in conscious and unconscious bias training. We are, you know, really looking at our kind of senior management of being very committed. As you say, for example, Chris, like the hire of Anne Richards, very committed to demonstrating. And I'm not suggesting for a second that's why she got the job because she's a woman, because she's just really good at what she does. And there is a question always about, you know, kind of uh, merit has to be part of this. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm just very interested to see kind of to what degree our people are, are doing the same thing as they've always done such as you know kind of training courses etc uh, and it comes back to time and time again sort of two or three specific areas which will be great to explore with you one is around culture of the organization the second is around sort of flexible working practices and then the third is uh, the middle management layer and thinking about how some of those entrenched middle managers who have been in the city for 25, 30 years, who naturally have you know, been hired in a certain way, trained in a certain way, behave in a certain way, how, how their mindset is kind of having, having to shift as the world around them kind of moves. Um, uh, where, where to start? I mean, should we, I mean, let's talk about culture, Chris, actually, uh, in terms of ways you look at organisations and, and have been reporting on them for a number of years in, in the world of financial services. Are you seeing that organisations are um, making changes or are great, more greatly aware of the culture that they perpetuate in terms of attracting and retaining talent? Definitely. That's definitely true. I mean, uh, sadly, a lot of it's triggered by regulation. Um, so, you know, the, the fact companies have to, of companies of a, of a certain size, have to publish their pay gap figures has meant that they're being transparent for the first time. Um, I remember many years ago, actually it's not that many years ago, uh, six years ago when I took over at FTFM, we would go around to the biggest asset managers and ask them just a, a simple breakdown of their, the number of women they hire compared to the number of men. We asked 
the 50 biggest companies around the world. Um, I think we got one company told us. And that was just the resistance we, we saw. It was just a simple question, just why, why don't you provide this data? Um, the story ne- didn't need to be negative. Um, obviously, the, the insinuation there is the data wasn't very good, and so let's not publish it. So it's taken regulation to have that data published now. Um, so there, there certainly is movement. I, you know, I'm a cynic, I'm a journalist. Um, a lot of it is to do with a change in rules rather than let's just put this stuff out here. I mean, I mean actually, in fairness to the asset management industry, um, the, they, the diversity project was set up and you know we don't have that in journalism. Um, journalism has a problem with um, diversity, and so sometimes it's difficult to call out these other industries. Um, the diversity project does a lot of good work, and you know last year they published figures on the breakdown of staff. Um, the stats weren't very good, but at least they're out there in the spotlight. So I, you know you have to applaud that. Um, and so you know that was spearheaded by Helena Morrissey, who's doing some. Fantastic work, another woman that I think men and women can really look up to. Um, yeah, does that answer your question? It does. It does indeed. So, so but the, thinking about sort of the culture side of things and then and then moving on to, um, I imagine, another key question, which is um, on the minds of your members as well, around flexible working. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and particularly some of those younger generations coming through, actually, about uh, how, how do we work more flexibly? But also looking at it from the perspective of senior managers, because you have to be still very present, arguably, to be driving a team and driving performance, or do you? Well, I think that's uh, a subject of much debate. Uh, And I think, um, you know, uh, I think there's some stigma around flexible working. So let's call it agile working. Uh, I, I think that seems to be the kind of uh, a better kind of reflection of the state of mind. But you know, I think um, I believe that, um, you know, there's a lot of entrenched behavior in workplace culture at the moment. A lot of it's coming from the top. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, when men and women are able to work as flexibly as each other, or let's say men uh, are happy to work as flexibly or agilely as women have needed to to date, then we're going to start seeing a bit of a shift and uh, shift in, in kind of behavior and culture about how present you need to be. And I think there's a lot of um, initiatives in place, for example, people not working on a Friday, for example, admittedly, probably in smaller businesses. But I think some of these these initiatives, like, for example, PwC, you can take unlimited holiday. And I think these things are a real signal to to the workforce about um, engendering a greater sense of trust and autonomy and ultimately productivity amongst their their workforce. Um, And I think it's some of these bold moves by some of these businesses when they start becoming, um, you know, a, a kind of, you know, questions asked by you know, millennials in ter- when they're they're interviewing for jobs because balance is much more important to them than it was to my generation starting in business, for example. And I think some employers are realizing that to be able to attract and to retain talented people, they're really going to have to start um, changing some of these criteria. Um, so uh, we've got a long way to go. But I think some bold steps by some well-known, successful organizations hopefully will start ringing the changes. Perfect. Well, I think that's a natural moment to turn to Cynthia and Robert, who have been doing some research to support the discussion today. 
There have been many changes in financial services, particularly with regards to ethical practices. In 2012, the Ethics Centre carried out a survey of 500 financial services professionals across the US and the UK. The results were alarming. 24% of respondents said that financial services professionals may need to engage in unethical or illegal conduct to be successful. 39% of respondents said that their competitors were likely to have engaged in illegal or unethical activity. 26% said that they had observed or had first-hand knowledge of wrongdoing in the workplace. 20% of respondents said that they were unsure or had serious doubts about how their employers would handle a report of wrongdoing. In 2016, the Institute of Business Ethics carried out its annual survey on the attitudes of the public to businesses in Britain. With over 2,000 respondents, the perception of the general public was that British business behaviour was not as ethical as it had been in recent years. For the first time since 2012, less than 50% of respondents felt that businesses in the UK were behaving ethically. Thank you, Cynthia and Robert. And links to the references and research can be found on our website, diversitypodcast.com. Remember, that's diversity with a C, not an S. You can also sign up for early notifications of future episodes. And please do follow us on Twitter at DiversityPod. And you can find us on all good podcast channels. If you've enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate a rating. It all helps promote the episodes. Back to a couple of things that have come out of the discussion so far. Chris, I was really interested in what you were saying about the world of, uh, of journalism as well. I mean, what is, what is your makeup at Financial News like? Um, in terms of the breakdown of men, women, ethnicity. Um, right the way across the diversity spectrum. So we have a reasonable mix, I think, at the senior levels where uh, too male heavy, I would say. Um, and, you know, I've been in the job for just a bit less than 18 months. Um, that's something I would like to change. Um, we have good people uh, within the company, so you know it, it does, things don't have to change. But we have uh, female editors um, who have been promoted recently to those positions, um, and hopefully they can carry on and progress. But I'm very mindful um, that we need to be better, quite frankly, um, because we cover very difficult stories where you know in terms of uh yeah diversity across all the spectrum um and you know to be for people to take you seriously you have to be doing it within your own company as well and we certainly are mindful that we need to do better but these things take time uh, and that's why i have sympathy for the big banks the big asset managers the insurers i know they want to do things uh, and it does take time because i can see it in my own company but I, as I said, I'm a cynic and I, you know, I see a lot of white males talking about this. And then the next year I see the same white males talking about this. Um, you know, more needs to be done. It'll be interesting to see sort of what, what's, what's going to drive that change as well. And I wonder whether, um, Sally, if I, if I come to you about this, this kind of question around, I mean, it's a women's network. And uh, there's a risk, I think, that we, if we work in isolation, that ultimately doesn't drive change because you're just talking in the echo chamber kind of mentality. Are you, are you pushing out to to bring? Uh, I mean, are, are you pushing out right the way across the diversity within your network? Yes. Slightly leading question. <clears throat> I'd expect a mm -hmm. yes in, resp in mm -hmm. response. But then also, uh, how how do you how do you join up with other networks as well? 
Yes, well, um, certainly, uh, I think I mentioned what, one of the things that I'm very keen for us to do is really to move from just valuing diversity to really just to, to valuing difference across the piece. And that's really trying to work more harmoniously with with all relevant individuals to solve problems, keep innovating. And uh, ultimately, my view is that um, different perspectives and collaboration uh, brings about greater success. I mean, what we, uh, what we do is we partner up with other organizations where it makes sense to do that, where we can be uh, stronger as a, as a pair. Uh, so we're very flexible in that regard. Um, and um, it, it may be that, you know, to be true to our, our mission or, or what I would love us to do is that we, you know, uh, we start, um, you know, bringing in more males as advisors, because I'm very conscious that, um, you know, in the past, businesses have set up uh, women's groups or similar as kind of special interest groups over at the side. And my view is we're, we're, we're never really going to move the needle if we continue to talk to ourselves. So uh, I have a kind of very uh, kind of collabor collaborative uh, kind of mindset when I'm looking at uh, what City Women Network can can do to actually make bigger strides quicker. Fantastic. And, and I'd really like to kind of wrap up the show really by thinking about, uh, as we look ahead a little bit, in terms of things we're optimistic about, because clearly that intersectionality will, will drive greater engagement. Um, Chris, let me come to you. What, what, are you. what are you optimistic about in terms of diversity inclusion as you look forward? That things are changing slowly um, and regulation is making is forcing this change through um you know companies will have to be better and um i know that's going to mean some people have to be dragged into this moment where they change but um that, that's just a really good thing you know diversity of thought certainly makes companies a much better place to work they perform better you know if you look at the fund managers for example there's so few women who run portfolios of money but the data shows that they're better, they're better at it. Um, you know, whether you believe the data or not, that's a different question. But certainly you need a healthy mix of people in a company for it to perform better. I spoke recently with um, Andrew Bailey, the FCA chief, and he said, he, he you know, outright said, the lack of diversity in the city has contributed to the number of financial scandals over the, over the years. He, and he, at the FCA, they have very ambitious targets at their own organization and i know that he would like companies to, to to follow that so i am optimistic but i also i come from this from a yeah from an eeyore cynic background but i think things will improve for the better certainly and sally let me come to you what are you optimistic about well um i mean we we've i mean to chris's point you know the the kind of introduction of of certain regulations to um you know mandate companies to publish certain figures with well, gender pay gap, obviously. I mean, certainly my view on that is um, whilst the, the figures themselves, I'm not sure we can take them at complete face value yet, they certainly do um, throw into contrast the problems that we've got and make people feel that they have an obligation to address some of these issues. So um, 
I do, I do agree that um, we've had to regulate to force some of this change, but I do think that it is propelling the more forward-thinking companies who really think about talent retention and productivity to take, uh, you know, some really, you know, bold steps in 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 really trying to address it more, uh, more obviously and voluntarily. So um, I think, as I said before, it's a great time for networks like, like ours to really ride that momentum and, uh, you know, be ambitious about saying we can, we can help organizations to, you know, make some of these strides. Fantastic. Well, it's been a wonderful conversation. I'd like to take a moment to thank you both for coming. Thank you. Sally and Chris, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Roet Pinto Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity Podcast, remember to give us a rating or review. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening. <laughs>